Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyer Labs, and today we get to interview R.G. Conley. And R.G. is the Chief Innovation Officer at the Xerox Services. And Xerox Services is a little outside of what you normally think of as the printing area, and they instead focus on services around customer care and business transa- transactions and processes, and which R.G. can tell us more about. So as, as we all know, Xerox is an extremely innovative company, so I invited RG on the show to tell us more about his views on innovation and what exactly he's doing at Xerox. He also has a really interesting background, which he can tell us about. So RG, thanks for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So yeah, let's, let's start out getting to know you a little better. Can, can you give us a little bit of overview on your background and uh, what you did before coming to Xerox? Sure, glad to. Uh, and my background is not exactly a linear one for getting to you know corporate IT and innovation and the like. I had a 20-year career as an educator. Uh, I'm actually a trained musician and was a teacher and administrator for 20 years. Built a school, did a number of things, and then in 1998 uh, changed uh, and went to a different career uh, in uh, corporate IT. I was a developer, uh, uh, had evolved a computer business, and so over the, since '98 uh, forward, have worked in a number of different uh, you know types of positions, uh, and in particular, then came up through the company uh, ACS, affiliated computer services. And that company was bought by Xerox back in 2009, 2010. And uh, during that time period, did anything from development to uh, operations. And I started uh, an innovation program uh, in uh, ACS. And then when we were acquired by Xerox, uh, that innovation program kind of built then into the chief innovation officer role. Uh, And since that point, we've developed a full innovation uh, component that's uh, tightly integrated to all of our business. Uh, and it also provides then uh, essentially the purview across the, the board for new products and services and uh, things that we're going to take to market and, and all the things that we do with our, our various platforms. And, and what prompted you from switching to a teacher to the IT world? Uh, a lot of a number of personal things. Uh, it was also the right time. Uh, I had had a lot of I, I built a computer business uh, back in uh, while I was still a teacher and. Uh, this is something that we looked at, as, you know, this personally being able to change, and uh, it turned out to be a, a great move. And now I'm at the end of a, a second 20-year career. Yeah, wow. Yeah, but, yeah. That's why I love your background. I love when people switch up with that in the middle, and you've made it work quite well, which is uh, impressive. Um, so before we, let's dive into Xerox services a little bit, and can you just give us uh, maybe a little better overview than I gave, and about Xerox services, like employees number of employees and the revenue of and uh, sure be glad to uh and it's a lot and and when i do a lot of demonstrations and i do a lot of that with clients and with with you know in in uh speaking engagements and the like almost always people come away and saying i didn't realize you were doing that xerox services uh is not the traditional copier printer side of the house xerox is really uh divided into two two uh parts 
Uh, one is the Xerox Technology, which is the traditional copier printer managed print service. Uh, and then Xerox Services is all the other things that we do. And it, it's pretty prolific. Uh, we've got about 105,000 uh, employees on the services side out of the 145,000 in, uh, in, in Xerox. Uh, we're worldwide. Uh, we do anything from uh, transaction processing in healthcare uh, to HR, F&A. We do uh, the tollway systems for Easy Pass of New York and New Jersey. We've got red line cameras across the world. Uh, we do work in banking. We've got a lot of – we're a major uh, player in the government healthcare world. So there's a lot of things that we're doing uh, that uh, are, are don't associate in your mind with the Xerox name. Uh, call center, big for us. We've got 55,000 call center agents. Uh, we do about 2 million, 2.5 million calls a day in a vast variety of domains. Uh, so it's, it's a very – complex science. It, it, it impacts the way I look at innovation because I, my charge is to be able to say, now, how do we innovate in all of that? Uh, and when we do that, we have to uh, then we put together an organization that allows us to be able to get pipelines and uh, portfolios of innovation that go uh, both to the, the business vertical as well as to, to the uh, specific capabilities uh, and delivery types of organizations. Uh, and those all combine together to be then the offerings and the, the, the new things that we're doing you know, across the board. So lots of complexity, uh, lots of things that people don't know about, uh, but, you know, really powerful organization. And let's talk more about that complexity. So how, I mean, it's vast. So how, how do you figure out your priorities and what to focus on? Uh, we're right now organized as we're organized as as business uh, verticals and capability uh, horizontals, and so I've got chief innovation officers that are in all of those uh, position for all of those either towers or horizontals, and then they are they uh, all hub together to be able to uh, coordinate that because you don't want to just be innovating everywhere. Because you get a lot of things, but it won't it won't hook together. We also work with the our strategy organization, and then set the business priorities based on you know what what are the specific business needs, the uh, you know particular funding, the speed to market. Uh, there's a lot of you know categories that that work with that. In particular, we're looking at portfolios of things because Xerox as a whole is a, is one of the top uh, you know IP and patent holders in the world. We've got a lot of innovation, a lot of IP, and a lot of things that we can do. You're not going to commercialize everything. So we we really go through a pretty tight selection process throughout the year, manage those uh, those roadmaps and pipelines uh, very tightly. We look at the commercialization process. In services innovation, it's very important to uh, be able to think in smaller terms than product, than normal mechanical or other types of innovation where you might be having uh, hardware that's still developed on one, three, and five-year uh, segments. Services innovation often has to be on the one, three, and five-month uh, scales. And so we, we, we've had to adapt so that we can have rapid uh, commercialization. We can always have new things that are on the, that are on the horizon, uh, and we can be able to remove those. So there may this times where you know not all innovation is going to end up being a success. So we we have to have a real tight review. And so all of the group presidents uh, and the capability leaders are are tightly involved with this. 
uh, so that we can consistently produce new products and services, uh, differentiate our our business, you know, and et cetera. And, and what type of projects is the innovation team working on now? You don't have to mention uh, what, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, obviously some of the things I can't tell you, yeah. but, but I can tell you that we have a strong focus on on automation right now. Uh, we've got some, uh, we had, had some emerging technologies. In fact, we just formed an automation capability uh, that is focused on being able to drive especially robotic process automation and other types of automation into our businesses. We've also made some new uh, headway and some offering sets that are fully on the automation spectrum. We have some great innovations coming out uh, in, in our transportation world. Uh, are some great examples more in the public sector uh, where we have demand-based pr- uh, pricing on, on parking, and uh, we've automated a lot of the types of things that, that traditionally uh, have been difficult to do. Now, we've got a ton of other things that are going on. Uh, again, I could talk about each of those domains, but those are some of the you know the big ones. Yeah. Yeah, and actually, I'd be interested if you could give an example in one of those domains, whether it's the business process automation or just expand on that, or you mentioned the parking and uh, dive a little bit more into what you guys are doing. Sure. So on the robotic process automation, we, we have our own tool set that we've built over the years, and we've combined it uh, to be able to infuse it into our business. So essentially, you're replacing what the person would do, is what you're doing, what you're automating. Uh, and because we've got so many people that was really attractive to us to look at, is to say, how do we take the customer to the next level? And so we've built out very large-scale operations uh, that can replace you know thousands of people as opposed to just individuals, uh, and basically become an automated uh, an automated workforce. Mm-hmm. So they interleave with our our people workforce and allow us to be able to expand the capabilities, reduce our costs, uh, and command and control it all with workflow. So it's a very powerful technique. Uh, we've already gone from the point of developing the tool sets, and we've got over 300 businesses that have that employed. Now we're the, at the point that we've developed a full-scale delivery capability uh, and are taking products out to market. So on next-generation customer care. So in the customer care, you you know the traditional voice is that you, you call in, you talk to somebody, et cetera. Uh, we've connected that with our automation, and we can also uh, machine learning to allow you to automate chat and to help uh, automate you know the voice calls and be able to expand on that. So a lot of different things within automation, but we've hubbed it around the uh, uh, current uh, or a, a the same tool set, and then we're able to be able to drive that, no matter if it's a call center, uh, you know, or if it's an F&A job. So, you know, we do a lot of back-end processing for procurement and things like that. That same tool set uh, can then drive large-scale transactions and probably if I had to do the, the count, probably 70,000 of the, the 105,000 people are doing some type of transaction, uh, and it might be a little bit higher than that. Uh, that gives us the ability then to empower those people, not just to reduce them, because our goal isn't just to reduce people. It's really to expand business, uh, and that's why we interleave it in. So that's a pretty exciting thing. The, the parking example was really exciting because it's affecting overall uh, municipalities. Uh, LA Express Park is our operation. That was one of our first vistas and being able to roll that out. Uh, and it just, it changes the way you're doing it. Essentially, you've got sensors everywhere and you've got the ability to understand, uh, what, 
where parking is available and help flow control. So sometimes it's not just pricing, because that may not be as important to the municipality as the congestion in a city. Uh, it's really kind of cool to watch. We've got a big board that will show the analytics and where people are and where people are flowing. Uh, it gives you the ability to really understand the the essence of uh, the flow of a city and uh, help change, you know, large scale problems that a you know large uh, uh, places like LA and in Washington and other places will have, uh, where it can, as we all know, it can be pretty congested yeah. at any given time. And with that uh, parking example, at what point did the innovation team become involved? What was kind of the, well, the life cycle of that? Uh, the parking yeah, cycle? so that's usually on the that's on the the front end. So my my work is almost always done on the front end part. So we have research and development centers throughout Xerox. We've got six of them. Uh, across the world, anywhere from Palo Alto Research Center, which was our park, the original one, uh, the people would know all the way across the world to Grenoble, France, and we've got them in Canada, et cetera. Uh, and so that research, uh, the commercialization, the prototyping, uh, the first of a kind, the, you know, and even the coordination into the commercialization, the actually building out of the platform, we will be involved. We're not the innovation team is not going to be involved in the you know the, the runtime and the running of the business and you know subsequent ver- ventures. But we'll be involved in that front end. And and who does does someone come up with that? Or how does the idea generate? Do you buy a company or do you sit sit around and say, hey, we need to get into parking? How does that evolve? <laughs> Well, uh, most of the time it's a business demand. So, you know, we have businesses in all these. We we don't go off and shoot at innovation that that we don't have. Uh, we would typically, to get into business, you're going to probably buy a business. Uh, you're not going to try to grow it from from scratch unless it just doesn't exist, period. But far most of the time you're, you're probably building on a business uh, that you're in. So we were in transportation. We bought a transportation company years ago. Uh, and you're going to build on top of that. Uh, and you may have a, a new need. Now, it could be that you're building on top of something you bought. It could be that you bought a business, but you need a new a new sector. Uh, you're looking at something specific that's a problem set. So we work with lots and lots of customers. So we do what are called dreaming sessions. And those dreaming sessions allow us to be able to really get down. We will meet for a day or two with a customer uh, and get their pain points, their visions, really get down into the meat of what they're they're seeing and where the needs are. And then we scope our innovation targets highly towards what is the customer need. We don't just do academic innovation and, and research. Uh, we'll do over 100 of those a year, wow. big events, and then we'll do about 1,000 or so smaller things throughout the year. And we've gotten to where we, we track those, and we've got a pretty you know robust system to be able to to, to take those ideas and be able then to aggregate them and, and put them into larger things. Cause you don't, you also can't chase a thousand things. Uh, and so we have to prioritize them and, you know, all that stuff I talked, talked about earlier, but that, those, that's how we, we're always going from the customer and then moving it into the need. We don't, we don't just build and hope they're going to come. That's not our approach. We're always looking at the customer's needs, pain points, and then, and then bringing forth the ideas to help help deal with it. That, yeah, that's smart. And so, yeah, it's like you guys are a, a, a very large startup, which is a, at least your department is, which is a great way to structure it. And so I, I'm curious, do you, um, you know, before you got into parking and you're talking to some potential clients, do you essentially get buy-in from them before you move into there? Or you, 
you know, it's just kind of a, a general sense you get from your clients if they're interested in parking that they, they might you know be those and parking is probably not a great example there because you're looking at you're looking at public sector and municipalities and a different thing. If you're looking at commercial customers where you may be solving spot uh, problem sets, uh, that's where we'll get the buy-in. We have to get the buy-in of the customer if we're going to co-create or we're going to co-innovate or we're going to solve for them. That it could be it's in a sector like HR where you're not really competing side to side with various customers, we may be solving it for an industry, but we may be hearing from a dozen key customers about certain problem sets and say, okay, that would be great. And we bring our researchers in and other people in to be able to help solve that problem. Uh, Whereas we may be also talking about commercial customers who do compete and therefore maybe we'll co-innovate with them on a specific problem. So it's a little different, depends on where we're at. The key thing is you want to start with what's what's the need in the industry or the customer and then draw it forward. And then you have to say, you know, is this something that I can build or do I need to build it? Yeah. Can I go get some uh, partner technology, put it together? Uh, can I just insert some IP? There's a lot of ways to solve that problem. Uh, we, we use a build-by-partner approach to say, you know, we don't have to build everything. We need to seriously look and say, where do we apply our, you know, our funding and how do we best utilize the dollars that we have? Interesting. And, and what new areas of tech or projects that you're working on are you most excited about? And I know you mentioned machine learning. Um, so it could either be, yeah, are there certain areas that you're, you guys are spending a lot of time on right now. Sure. There's uh, well, obviously, I talked about the automation and the machine learning and, and all things you know in that regard to be able to automate. We obviously analytics are very important. So there's a number of different areas that are very important to us in analytics. We're not a big box provider. We're not doing engines and things like that. But we've got a significant healthcare business that we work in. We've got uh, prepaid cards that we work in. We've got exchange systems for HR. So all of those require a strong focus on analytics. We also look at mobile. We've got a lot of people, uh, the virtual workers and the, and the at-home offices and, and all the connectivity and the mobile types of uh, uh, affairs are very important to us. Personalization doesn't sound like much, but personalization in a lot of our areas is extremely important. Uh, the Internet of Things to a certain degree, uh, even though that usually comes on the advent of what our customers are looking at because we don't produce those those types of products, but we may have to connect to them. So if internet, if you've got an internet-centric device, like thermostats and the like that are sending out data, our customer care sites may have to take that data in and use it. So there's, those are some of the big, you know, big rocks that we're looking at. Obviously, I talked about the transportation, so dealing with uh, all of the transportation has kind of all those facets as well, but you're looking at in that case, uh, a lot of centricity around municipalities and, uh, you know, helping to get cities and, and municipalities and states and countries uh, working more efficient and, and, and the like. And, and how, do you, how do you guys learn from your mistakes? I mean, you mentioned at the beginning, which is, that sounds really important, is that you also know you have a feedback loop, so you also know when to turn off a project or shut it down, which is probably a very important step. Um, 
you know, yeah. How, yeah how I call it weed and feed. <laughs> <laughs> I coined the term, term weed and feed. <laughs> so uh, we, the organization, we have a process to look at all everything that we've got going on a quarterly basis. And so we do, they've got business plans. They've got everything you might think about at, at a business level. We've got for our uh research and our innovation projects, commercialization. So we're looking at those. Are they on track? We're running them as a project. Is it going to have the market and the demands changed? And so on a quarterly basis, we look at all that. There may be some that we stop. You know, they maybe it changed. Uh, it may be six months ago it was fine. Now it's not. So we have the ability to make sure we can stop. could be that we need to accelerate. So we may need to uh, put some uh, additional funding in there, additional resources, and say, hey, we really got to make this, you know, November date as opposed to what we thought was February. And so we we look at it very uh, very deeply. We we have, like I said, we've developed over the last five six years a very strong organization that will keep in touch with that uh, all the way up to governance to our our president level. So it's it, it's just, you have to do that. If you don't, what will happen is you'll go far too long. You'll spend too much money. And that won't be a success, and everybody's unhappy, and you you know you, you get into that ditch. Gotcha. Okay. And unfortunately, I think we're coming to the end uh, of this interview, um, but uh, definitely appreciate it. But one, uh, but uh, but I'm curious, um, since you know you made a, a career change, you know, in the, in the middle of your career, was there certain uh, mentors that helped you along, especially at the beginning, that helped you get to where you are now? Uh, well, you know, and, and as I made the career change, uh, early on, there weren't a lot of mentors because I changed. I was a contractor for a while and it, for a couple of years in the utility industry. When I came to, uh, ACS, which I did in late 99, uh, you know, I had mentors, uh, all the way. I, I worked with the, with Len and Tom Blodgett for many, many years, and they may not be familiar to you, but they're, uh, kind of icons in the, in the BPO world. And they were mentors. I mean, I had, uh, some great sets of, of bosses uh, that kind of guided me. Uh, I was able to get multiple uh, job responsibilities. I was a development manager for four years. I was in operations for another five years. I started, had innovation. So the ability to have some of the, that mentorship and have some great people to work with, it cannot go unstated because you, if you're in a vacuum, you're not going to get it done. So I've had opportunity, and it was great. And, uh, you know, it's been a great ride and enjoy what we do. Great. Well, I think that's a good way to end the interview, and I definitely appreciate your time, RG, and I hope uh, everyone enjoyed the po- podcast as much as I did. And it's really interesting what you guys are doing. I knew you guys were uh, okay. I knew you guys were innovating, but uh, not necessarily that scale in that many different areas. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I appreciate the ability to to be on, and hopefully it's been informative. And uh, always glad to you know, come back and uh, talk again. All right, great. And I appreciate it. So thanks, RG, and thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Fiber Labs. We'll, we'll see you next time. Bye.